Well, good morning. We are wrapping up our sermon series on the book of 2 Corinthians today. Paul had written this letter to foster and deepen reconciliation with the church in Corinth and himself. Paul had founded this church and he served and worked in Corinth for about a year and a half. But after he left, some false teachers came in and began to question his leadership. These false teachers had gotten some of the members of the church itself to question if Paul had the authority that they should trust. They wondered if the Messiah was leading and speaking in and through Paul. Some had demanded proof of the authoritative source of Paul's ministry and message. And we have seen, especially the last few weeks, how Paul has addressed some of the questions about his leadership to this church. And now as we wrap up this letter, he turns the tables on the readers. He wants them not to question or examine Paul, but rather to submit themselves to a self-test. And that is where we're going to pick up right now as we finish up our last time in 2 Corinthians. I'll be reading for us from 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 14. You can follow along in a Bible or in your order of worship or just listen as I read. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may do no wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is God's word and it is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your servant Paul, for the ways that he loved the church, taught the church, challenged the church. And we thank you that your spirit can allow these words written so long ago to encourage us, to challenge us, and to know that we are loved by you. May your spirit be active now as we hear your word in your name. Amen. So just after high school, a group of friends of mine and I decided to rent some jet skis for a day out on the lake. And we had never done this before, but it was a blast. And we got a couple of jet skis, and there was probably seven or eight of us. And it was the old jet skis, and you would stand up on them and ride the waves. And I'd never done this before, but I really enjoyed myself as I began to get used to the machine. I was enjoying learning how to hit the wave at the right moment to try to maybe get a little bit of air. I was enjoying the way you could quickly turn it back and forth and cause waves to happen. I was starting to get more and more confident trying to do more tricks the more I got on this machine and was riding it. But at one point, I tried to hit a wave at a certain point and turn the thing in a certain way, and next thing you know, I'm flying in the air into the water. Now, these were the older machines, and so they did not have that automatic stop when someone falls off the machine, so it just started floating away. 
I got out of the water, I'm in my life preserver, I look up and I see that the jet ski is what looks like pretty far away from me. And so I start swimming towards it as fast as I can. I swam and I swam and I swam, but it felt like I could not get anywhere near this machine. So I stopped and I looked again and I breathed and I thought, I have to get to this machine. I'm getting a little nervous at this point. And so I start swimming as fast as I can again towards this jet ski, but I just can't get there. So I stop and I'm confused and I'm scared and I'm kind of frustrated and I'm exhausted and I'm just floating in the water. And I look over and I start to notice that the jet ski is actually going in a circle. I came to find out later that these machines didn't have the automatic stop, but what they did have is when you fell off, it would just go in a circle, and if you waited around long enough, it would come near you, and you could get back on. I got to tell you, my friends laughed so much from the beach watching me try to get this machine in circles going around and around. And I got to tell you, this story came to my mind today as I was thinking about verse 5 and this examining ourselves or testing ourselves in our faith. This is one of the number of texts we find in the Bible that commend the practice of self-examination. Examining what we believe, inspecting our lives to see if the presence of true faith is active in our lives. And this is a good thing to do. But like me chasing that jet ski, there's a danger in how we test ourselves that could cause us despair and hopelessness. Some kind of tests or exams we give ourselves are impossible to pass. And they might do more harm than good. Again, asking ourselves about what we believe and how our belief impacts our lives is a good thing. Seeing how our actions and our patterns of lives match up to the calling as a follower of Jesus is good. But how quickly do our questions just turn into unhealthy, obsessive navel-gazing? How quickly do we chase and chase and chase after trying to get the right answers for the test we give ourselves? How often do we chase after the right answer and it causes us more doubt or confidence in ourselves? And how often does that chase after making sure that we are right make us feel a lot worse about ourselves as we compare ourselves to others or to the standard that we have set for ourselves when it comes to this test? Self-reflection should not lead to just condemnation and paralysis, but to restoration and growth. Now, some of us do need to take time to examine ourselves, to ask, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about Jesus? And how does that impact my life? But it's very different from taking the time to examine ourselves, to ask what we believe and if we are a believer, then it is to examine the faithfulness and the maturity and the progress of our walk with Jesus. Now, there are places in Scripture, and there are times in our lives where it is good to actually ask, am I really a follower of Jesus? Do I believe this to be true? And do I accept him for my hope and salvation? And if this is where you are today, I'm really glad that you're here. I think God promises to to show up when his people gather to worship. So if you're trying to figure out who God is and if he is real, this is the right place to be, to listen, to reflect, to think. But for those of you in this room today that are followers of Jesus, this call to self-examine ourselves becomes a problem if we do not believe we can answer in the affirmative. 
Paul assumes that these folks in Corinth that he's writing to will pass this test. He not only calls them part of the family of God in verse 11 when he says they are brothers, but in verse 6, after he talks about the call to examine themselves, he tells them what they need to realize about themselves, that Jesus Christ is in them. Paul believes Jesus Christ is in these brothers and sisters he is writing to. So it is good to examine our hearts and our minds and our lives and whether Christ is in us. But as we ask these questions, may we ask it in the way that Paul wanted this church to ask. May the examination of our lives and our hearts strengthen or reawaken the implication of the fact that Christ is in us. Paul says in verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Literally, in the original language, this says, yourself examine. And I think that's an important thing to reflect upon. Because it's way easier to examine other people and to test other people rather than to test ourselves. The call here is not to examine all the ways other people in your family in your neighborhood, in this church, in the city, and in the world have failed, but rather to be honest with our own self-evaluation. To, in a sense, look at ourselves like we look in a mirror and say, can we see King Jesus in our life at all? Can we see Jesus? What does this look like? How can we answer the question of verse 5 with a yes? Do you not realize this about yourself? That Christ Jesus is in you. How do we know that we've passed the test that Christ is in us? Well, this passage, along with the rest of this letter that we have been looking at, helps us know. Paul wants this church to know, and he wants us to know as well, to truly embrace the gospel that he has been preaching about salvation in Christ. He wants us, like he wants the church in Corinth, to look to Jesus and Jesus alone, to count on him for our forgiveness of sin and our peace with God. Assurance you have passed the test begins and ends with the conviction that you belong to Jesus. And this assurance plays out in our day-to-day lives as we see what we believe and how we live in that belief in the ways that we love. Paul is confident in this message of the gospel. Paul had detractors we have seen throughout this sermon series. Paul had enemies in Corinth. Paul had people that wanted him to be failing and to be destroyed in his ministry. They wanted him to fail. They actually thought he had failed. And yet we have seen throughout this letter a deep, secure identity and a big picture perspective that Paul had about his life and ministry. How? How did Paul have such a secure identity in the midst of so much accusations and false assumptions about him being a failure? And can any of us in this room have that same kind of secure identity today? Well, Paul clings to the truth of the gospel. Verse 9 says, For we can do nothing, or we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. What is important for Paul to believe and for us to believe as well is the truth of the gospel. The truth that none of us can claim God's love on our own. None of us can earn God's love on our own. But the truth of the gospel is that none of us can lose God's love as we are in Christ. 
The truth that we have faith and life only from God and God alone in his grace and mercy is the truth of the gospel. And we have to ask ourselves, do we truly believe this about God and about ourselves? Do we believe the truth of the gospel or do we believe the lies of the world and of our flesh that tells us we are not worth it? We are unlovable. We are hopeless. We are a disappointment to God. Every one of us in this room are sinners. Every single one of us. But none of us in this room are a disappointment to God. Every single one of us in this room will fail at the very things God calls us to do. We do fail. But none of us in God's eyes are considered failures. You might struggle with self-worth, but you're worth it enough for God to come and die for you. This is the truth of the gospel, and this is what we must conform our lives to. How we live in the light of the truth of the gospel matters. For example, what we do with our minds, what we do with our speech, what we do with our bodies matters before God and is right and good in his eyes. Paul says in verse 7 that he prays that they may do no wrong, but do what is right. The test of knowing how much we believe the truth of the gospel is often found in how much our lives are affected by the truth of the gospel. And we all fail at this all the time. We see or hear commands of scripture that we ignore, that we reject, that we twist, or that we rationalize our way out of them. All of us do this. That's why it is good each week that we have a time in our service to confess those ways we have not done what God has called us to do. It is very good that each Sunday we get to confess our sins together, acknowledging that there are commands that we have failed again and again, and our only hope is in the assurance of pardon given by Jesus alone. It is good to be reminded and examine our lives and how the gospel is not impacting us the way it should. And often, the way I see that in my life and the way I see it in other people's lives is in how we love. Often, I know I'm failing the test of understanding and believing the gospel because I see that I'm not loving the way God calls me to love. Paul, in verse 9, prays for restoration for these people in Corinth. Literally, Paul prays that this community would be thoroughly put back together in order to be made right in how they are loving him and how they are loving others in this community. Theologian N.T. Wright describes this word restoration in verse 9 as this way, meaning all parts running in working order and harmony with each other. And so it would be good for us to examine if we are running in order and harmony in this community and how we love. We should test how we believe the truth of the gospel and how it impacts how we treat others. I mean, Jesus himself in the gospel gives us a test to know if we are following him. Jesus himself gives us a test to know, are we one of his disciples? Jesus says clearly, by this, all people will know you are my disciples. Here's the test that people will know you are a follower of me. If you have love for one another. Paul loved this group of folks in Corinth so much, he was willing to be seen as weak and pathetic for the sake of love. Paul loved this church so much that he was okay with being seen as a failure 
for their success. In fact, Paul was willing to fail in order for them to succeed. Paul says in verse 7 that they pray that you may do no wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may to seem to have failed. Paul here and elsewhere in his letters is seen as someone who prays for his people, who loves his people, who remains vulnerable before them, and who would rather fail himself if they would pass the test. Paul took the truth of the gospel and it impacted the way that he lived sacrificial love towards others that were trying to reject and accuse them of things that were wrong. Man, when we feel rejection from others, when we face criticism, when it just seems like people do not understand our position and who we are, what do we do? Well, unlike Paul, we fight. We defend. We escape. We keep a record of who's harming us. And we resent them greatly. Often, many of us are so insecure in need of vindication and validation and the approval of others that we don't have time to pray for others. We don't have time to care for others because we're so consumed with what people think about us. Paul knows this about us just like he knew it about the church in Corinth. And his words to them are our words as well. Paul ends this letter with a call of action to love. Paul is not just concluding his letter with a bunch of random statements or commands. Paul ends his letter with a callback to the many themes and ideas we have seen in this letter as a whole. Like a great montage at the end of the last episode of a great TV series final. Verses 11 through 13 have images and ideas that we've already seen throughout this letter that are important for us to grasp and live out in our day-to-day lives. Paul says, finally, brothers, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the saints greet you. He begins with, finally, brothers and sisters in this church, rejoice. Joy is such a powerful antidote to bitterness, rivalry, and selfish hearts. May we have joy and celebrate others in this community. May we have joy and rejoice when others get things that maybe we've been wanting, and not just get bitter, but celebrate. May we grow in joy and seeing others and wanting them to succeed, even if we don't get everything we desire. Now, we won't always do this. In fact, we often will fail at this. And that's why we're going to need reconciliation when we fail. And so Paul continues on, and after calling them to rejoice, he says, aim for restoration and comfort one another. Restoration, reconciliation, caring for one another in unity takes work. We are all different in this room. We all have different values, and we don't always agree on same things. We don't always understand each other. We don't always like each other. So it takes effort. It takes forbearance and forgiveness and love to fight for unity. And it takes comfort to others when we fail at loving them like we should. Paul was hurt by this church in Corinth, and this church hurt one another. Some actively attacking 
and some passively avoiding others. And a call to comfort was needed for them as it is needed for us as well. May this week, may this season of Lent be a time where we examine our hearts and ask us, are there places, God, that I am not loving? Are there people, God, that I need to reconcile with? Are there people, God, that I need to comfort because of the hurt I have caused? And may we ask God to help us agree with one another and to live at peace with one another. May we pray at working on solidarity in this community with our value and with our priorities and with our mission. I love this community. I'm a huge fan of this church. But can you imagine how much stronger this community could be if we truly agreed together to work on being people who love? We are all different people. We have different values and priorities and opinion. But if you are part of this church community, you're part of a family. This call to greet one another with a holy kiss is a call to publicly declare that we are family. A holy kiss, or like we do each week in church, the passing of the peace between men and women and adults and children and single and married and those who are new to the faith and those who have been followers of Jesus their whole lives, it is a good reminder and acknowledgement that we are family. We are one in Christ. We are, as Paul said elsewhere in one of his letters, there is neither male nor female in Christ, Jew nor Greek in Christ, slave or free in Christ. We are together in Christ. Now Paul is for sure focusing on this church in Corinth and his relationship with them, but the words and challenge to them are to us as well. To be those people who have been reconciled to God, to live together in hope of that reconciliation with others. And Paul ends his letter with a blessing, with a benediction that we often hear at the end of our service. And so these familiar words sometimes maybe lose its significance because we just hear it and don't really realize how significant these words are for us. These are the important words to grasp if we're able to do even a little bit of what he calls us to do in this section of his letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. It always begins with grace. It always begins with grace. Nothing Paul has called us to do in this whole letter can be done without God reaching down and giving us what we need to do what we have been called to do. And this grace is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who points to us the true meaning and significance of grace, the one who gave up so much for us, who left his throne in heaven to come and be human, to die for us, to become weak so that we may be strong. Jesus embodies the grace of God. Jesus is the grace of God we need. And then Paul points towards the love of God, the heart and essence of who God is. God loves you. God loves you you could just believe that a little bit, how it can help you live your life of love. And God gives us his spirit to help us with this love. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the life-giving, unity-building, fellowship-equipping spirit is present in our family right now to help us love, to help us live out the truths of the gospel. 
May we believe this to be true. May we believe in the truth of the gospel and may it impact our lives, especially in how we love. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that we would realize even more deeply right now how much you love us, how much you celebrate us, and how much you provide for us. And may we take that love and may we believe that love and may it help us even just a little bit today to show love towards someone else, especially those that we have a hard time with. And Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy that when we fail to love, you continue to love. And we are grateful for that. In your holy name, amen.